Minnesota's northern tip is surrounded by water and Canadians. So what happens when Americans are cut off from civilization because of COVID-related border shutdowns? Brad Dawkins from the Grand Forks Herald tells us about this tale of two lakes. I'm Lawrence Clady, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for being here and making the show part of your day. We've got a really interesting episode for you. Today, we're talking about a unique piece of land that is technically part of Minnesota, and the only way you can access it is by Canadian Road or by waterway. Now, Americans work and live on this remote location year-round, so what happens when the border suddenly shuts down? How do you survive? Now that I've teased it, and before we get into it, we need to thank our sponsor, Noda. Noda is powered by M&T Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of Noda, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit trustnoda.com forward slash legal to learn more. And that's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. Terms and conditions may apply. Okay, audience, let's greet our guest, Brad Dawkins. He's the out Outdoors editor at the Grand Forks Herald. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on board. It's uh, good to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for coming on. And so, you know, I talked with your colleague, uh, Christopher Vondercheck from the uh, Forum News Service, and uh, he came on. We were doing this uh, earlier episode about South Dakota's fireworks show, and he he brought this story up that we're talking about today and sent me a link to your article. It's a great article. I really enjoyed it. You know, I'm familiar. I've been up to that area of the country and, and uh, spent some summers up there. But uh, in your article, you have this really neat, it's like a three miniature documentary series of a video up there that people can watch for about 12 minutes or so each, but uh, gives you a real taste for what life's like up there. And you got a uh, feel for the locals and sort of that small town affair. But uh, anyway, listeners, the, the name of the article is A Tale of Two Lakes. Tourism flourishes on South Shore of Lake of the Woods, while Northwest Angle struggles with border closure during COVID-19 pandemic. And I'll put all of this in the show notes so you can uh, look it up yourself if you're interested. But Brad, as an opener question, I have a question that will... Uh, either establish your expertise to geography or not. So I looked up in your bio that you're a graduate of Bemidji State University. And so I have a question about the Mississippi River. So we all know if you study geography, the Mississippi headwaters are somewhere in Minnesota. Now, are they at Lake Bemidji or are they at Lake Itasca? Oh, piece of cake. They're at Lake Itasca. <laughs> Okay, so you passed. So yeah, I actually didn't know that. I, I I looked that up. I'd always heard it was Lake Bemidji, and then I went and looked it up, and they said Lake Itasca. But when you look it up on the map, it's a little confusing. So thank you for uh, clearing that up for us. It does go through Lake Bemidji at that point, though, and then and then eventually winds its way and and, and heads south. But it is indeed Lake Itasca. <laughs> Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Well, let's talk about this area. This is a beautiful area of the country, this uh, kind of the shared border area of uh, Minnesota and Canada. And it's a, it's an area that's just got tons of lakes and a lot of them interconnect. There's island property up there. People live there. They have cabins up there. They hunt and fish and spend their summers and winters there. So, you know, tell us about this country and tell us about the people that live there. Well, talking about the Northwest Angle specifically, uh, you know, like you say, it, it it's a beautiful area. It's it's very remote. It's very rugged. You start getting into the uh, kind of the island country on the Ontario side of Lake of the Woods up there. Uh, the Minnesota side of Lake of the Woods is is basically a wide open water. You know, three hundred thousand plus acres of wide open water. Whereas uh, you get up into the Canadian side and it's it's islands and what they call Canadian Shield. Like I say, beautiful area, but uh, it's an interesting mix of people that live there. You know, historically, I think the people that settled there were, you know, folks like loggers, commercial fishermen, 
you know, or, you know, just some folks who wanted to get away and, and live off the land in, in, in a remote setting. And, and that certainly qualifies, but there, there's really nothing quite like it, you know, at least in the United States where you have to go through, you know, a different country to get back into your own country, you know, other than I guess a couple of spots out in, in Washington state and, you know, some other things, but in, in terms of the lower 48, it's definitely unique. Yeah, it's really interesting up there. It's wild country and uh, you better be good at reading a map and uh, otherwise you'll get lost. But, you know, th- this area along the uh, Canadian-U.S. border uh, had a really unique experience during COVID-19. And, you know, obviously Canada had a little bit different uh, in terms of policy dealing with the pandemic than the United States. And so, you know, kind of highlight that for us a little bit. You know, the United States had entry into the country different than Canada. What was going on up there? Well, the the border on both sides has been closed to non-essential travel since uh, I believe it was March 21st of 2020, meaning that there's only select people that are able to cross by land uh, between the two countries. I looked this up on the Canadian government website before I came on here now, and you know what they list as being um, essential workers would be people like energy and utilities, finance, health, you know, medical people, transportation, government folks, manufacturing. A handful of those kind of apply to the Northwest angle, but basically the, you know, there, I think there's been some construction workers that have been able to cross and, and like people from the electric company, you know, that the electric uh, service up there is actually, you know, headquartered on in the lower part of Minnesota. And, you know, those kinds of people can go back and forth. The mailman, he can go back and forth, makes a mail run three days a week. So, you know, like I say, there are a, a limited number of people that can, but the tourists that really are the lifeblood of the economy up there have not been able to get to the Northwest Angle by road since last March. You know, and that's a fact that has not been lost on government elected officials. And they, they've made some efforts, as I understand, to talk with Canada about opening up those roadways for a little bit more additional travel, maybe not necessarily super strictly complying with that essential service definition. So tell us about some of those past efforts. Well, yeah, members of uh, Minnesota's congressional delegation, they have reached out to Canadian counterparts, you know, on numerous occasions, uh, just asking that the travel restrictions be lifted, you know, not necessarily even reopening the whole border, just establishing a travel corridor, you know, so that people could drive those 40 miles of road to get from Minnesota back into Minnesota. It's a very sparsely populated remote area. I would say probably 25 miles of that 40 mile highway of that 40 mile road is gravel. So you're not dealing with, you know, a significant Canadian population base. And, you know, all they're asking is that people be able to travel that route. Like I say, they've reached out on numerous occasions and it hasn't really gained any, any traction for whatever reason, but it's a kind of a work in progress. And, uh, you know, there's been some policy changes along the way and some confusion about what can and can't be done. But, uh, you know, I know members of the congressional delegation, they've, in both parties have introduced uh, legislation that would establish, you know, for example, forgivable loans for businesses up there that can show losses of, you know, I think like 75% or greater in the past calendar year. And, you know, some things to try to, you know, kind of lessen the financial blow of, you know, losing just such a significant part, you know, part of your business and, and your clientele. There was a public forum that was held in International Falls, Minnesota, back in April that included um, a couple of members of Canadian Parliament that actually sat in virtually. Oh, wow. And, and it was it was more of, I think, maybe a, a fact-finding kind of session just for people to talk a little bit about their experiences of 
you know, what it's like to be dealing with this closed border and the effects that it's had on them. And, you know, just trying to bring this issue to light a little bit, because I, you know, I think there's probably a lot of people out there that don't understand or realize that, a, you know, a situation like this even exists. I definitely want to get back to that unique geography part of the Northwest angle. And, and honestly, you know, I read about it and I understood it, but it wasn't until I saw it on the map that I really understood how cut off this area is and why, you know, having a closed border would make such a difference. So, you know, maybe uh, describe that for our audience here. You know, why is this area so hard to reach? The main thing is just that issue of having to drive through Canada and, you know, clear Canadian customs to get back into Minnesota. For example, you know, we'll, we'll take the town of War Oak, Minnesota on the kind of the, the southwestern shore of Lake of the Woods. That would be sort of one of the gateways to the Northwest Angle. And then to reach the Northwest Angle from War Oak, uh, you drive about 10 miles north to Canadian customs. And at that point, you're on a Canadian highway for that, you know, 40 mile or so road. And, and you're driving on that road until you get back into Minnesota, at which point you have to go through customs again. Uh, these days, that's done remotely with a with an app that uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection has developed that people can use up there to, you know, enter back back into the country. But you know, like I say, that Canadian corridor that's the that's the whole core of the issue here, and and the you know kind of the challenge of getting from Minnesota to Minnesota right now. And that only leaves basically that open water area, which is pretty treacherous, as I understand it. So uh, one question about that, that water area, you know, when, when I was a kid, you know, we used to go up to this border area, you know, a little bit east of there and cross the lakes into Canada. And we, what we used to do is we'd stop in, check in with customs, and then we'd go back to the United States after we had our paperwork and get in the boat and then drive across the border in the boat. And so what is that border like up there? Uh, I, I didn't see anything we had to cross. Is that all American? American waters as you approach the Northwest angle? It is. It is entirely American waters to get, you know, from the South end of Lake of the Woods to the Northwest angle. So that's why, you know, that's really the only option for, for getting there right now, because you don't have to go through Canada. But again, you know, when the wind blows or, you know, the weather <laughs> is, is bad, 40 miles of open water is an awful lot of water. Well, that hasn't held uh, people back. There's been some creative problem solving here in the summer and the winter to get there. Maybe share some of those stories. How have people been accessing the Northwest Angle, even though Canada says, no, you can't come here? There are people that, you know, have big enough boats that are going up on their own and, you know, accessing resorts up there or perhaps, you know, their their lake homes, those kinds of things. But there is a passenger service that that operates from the, the South Shore of Lake of the Woods, uh, near the town of Baudette, Minnesota. And they have, you know, large, you know, like 28 to 30 foot sport craft, you know, large, large boats that, you know, can take, you know, six, eight people. And that they are going across to resorts or, you know, other establishments up at the angle and, and taking people across. And they're actually, they're actually very busy. I actually crossed there a week ago today. The boat driver that we went up with actually made five round trips that day. His day started at 4.30 in the morning and it ended at 7.30 that night. So, you know, you're looking at a, a 15-hour day and it was a pretty rocky ride as well because it was a it was a fairly windy afternoon and, you know, I don't know what the wave sizes were. It You know, the ride went surprisingly smooth considering how rough it was and you would not have wanted to have been in a small boat. It would not have been a lot of fun, but uh, so they have a, you know, I really, from what I could tell it, it runs like a well-oiled machine. I mean, everything, you know, departures and arrivals and everything were right on time. And they took 
upwards of 70 people across the lake that day to get to the Northwest Angle. So it's it's been a real, real lifeline. Of course, in the wintertime, you know, they, they got really creative up there in the, in the wintertime. And, and this got a lot of publicity, I know, even nationally. They built a, an ice road, a winter road that went from the south end of Lake of the Woods, went 22 miles across the lake, across the ice. And then it came to a, a cut of land, an actual clearing that cuts along the U.S.-Canada border. And they used that, that it, I guess that was eight miles. From there, you pick up a county road right on the U.S.-Canada border that would get you, you know, to the angle. Again, you know, something that had never been done before, but, uh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, as they say. And, and it actually worked out really well. It was, you know, quite expensive to, you know, to establish this road and to maintain it because you're plowing and, and clearing brush. And, you know, I mean, you're, you're out there plowing every day, pretty much. And, you know, ice moves. It doesn't just stay in one place. So these pressure ridges and ice heaves form. So then you have to build bridges so that vehicles can cross these, you know, cracks in the ice. And they pulled it off. It was, it, it was pretty amazing. I know we went up there in, I guess it was early February and did it just out of curiosity. Um, normally we go by snowmobile, but just, I think just for the novelty factor, we wanted to try the road out and, and uh, it was, it, it was pretty neat. I know that, uh, you know, looking at the numbers here, they sold just about 1,000 passes, you know, people that paid to use this road. And uh, it cost uh, $120 to, to use that road, you know, to the Northwest Angle itself. And then if you wanted to go out to the islands where they also had a road plowed, then it was another, another $25. So it almost became like a tourist attraction in and of itself. Oh, it, it did. And it was, you know, that area is really known for, for ice fishing in the wintertime. So what it did was it allowed, you know, a lot of those resorts up there to at least salvage part of their year because all of a sudden they had customers again and, and people came. I mean, they wanted to go up there. They wanted to, uh, you know, have an experience after being, you know, cooped up or, you know, living in the uncertainty of the times all summer long. No, it, it, it worked out quite well, but again, very expensive. You know, the numbers I saw, they spent, you know, the partners in this road project spent $130,000 just in building and maintaining it. And, uh, you know, they put in 675 hours of plowing. Oh my so that's, goodness. <laughs> that's plowing snow across, you know, across the ice. Wow. And, uh, wow. Yeah. No, incredible project, but, uh, it was a fun one to cover as a reporter and, and, you know, get to experience it firsthand because it was ingenuity and, and, uh, you know, that's, that's also, you know, kind of a hallmark of the, of the people that live up there. You know, you play the hands you're dealt in some pretty rugged remote situations and, and make the best of it. Yeah, no, definitely. The people I know that, uh, that, that live up there are pretty tough people just uh, on an individual basis. But uh, we've got just a couple minutes left, but I want to get into some of the financial impact. And so, you know, this is uh, a situation about a lot about geography. And as I understand the Lake of the Woods, the financial impact was definitely felt more in the northern section as compared to the southern section. So I'd like to hear a little bit about that, as well as you know, there were some businesses that had a good year, but most of them had a bad year. So maybe tell us about some of the businesses that uh, had a good year versus bad year too? Well, just speaking in terms of resorts, you know, most of the resorts, if not all of the resorts on the south end of the lake um, last summer had had a very good year, you know, once once they were able to reopen, you know, there was a period at the onset of that pandemic when when things were pretty much in, in lockdown. So, you know, the, things didn't really kind of start opening up again along those lines until until early June. And I think there was a little bit of hesitancy early on, you know, people just wondering what they could or couldn't do or how safe it would be, that kind of thing. But as time went on, and it didn't take very long, 
people started flocking to the south end of the lake, you know, staying at resorts, booking fishing trips, taking in that outdoors experience that that you could do quite safely. So, you know, that that part of the lake did very well. But, you know, then you look at the northwest angle and again, that road being inaccessible, not being able to drive through Canada, that that hurt them incredibly. I mean, the numbers I heard were, you know, business losses of anywhere from 75% to 90, 90% of what they would make in a normal summer, they, they lost just because of that road being closed. One resort owner I know said, you know, last June would have been his best year ever. And uh, he basically, I think he had one, one client the whole time. So, you know, devastating. There's just really no other word for it. You know, how the, the reopening process, you know, here in Southern California, it was pretty staggered. And sometimes they reverse themselves. And this was uh, especially apparent when it came to restaurants and outdoor dining. And so a lot of restaurants to try to stay open would do a lot of delivery service. But when they could, they would work a deal with their uh, with their landlord to, um, you know, open up into the parking lot and do uh, more uh, socially distanced seating. But then all of a sudden, the state kind of retracted a little bit and said, no, outdoor dining is too dangerous. So they went through the whole process of scaling back up, getting their, their operations going again, making uh, longer-term orders only to shut down. So was the reopening process, you're talking a little bit about the hesitancy there, but in Minnesota, was it pretty smooth and consistent all the way through or did they retract some? Well, there was some real frustration, especially in Northern Minnesota, because, you know, Minnesota used sort of a, a one size fits all policy in terms of the, you know, the regulations and the restrictions that implemented. And, you know, of course, in the Twin Cities with a much, much higher population base, there were higher case counts and, and you know, potentially more risk. And yet, you know, places like Roseau County and Lake of the Woods County, where at that point, there were very, very few cases of, of COVID-19 at that point, they still operated under the same restrictions as, as counties with much, much higher populations and much higher case counts. And so, you know, there was some frustration with that. And, and then just, you know, inconsistencies of, you know, a hardware store was allowed to be open throughout, but uh, the clothing store next door could not be open, you know, those, those kinds of things. It took a while to, you know, sort of come to grips with that. And of course, as the summer went on in summer 2020, you know, things did start opening up a little bit, but, uh, you know, people didn't embrace it right away. You know, it, it wasn't like they were waiting at the storefronts when the stores opened. It took some time. You know, I mean, there's no book written for how to respond to something like this. So, you know, I think everybody was sort of in uncharted waters in many ways. Well, uh, Brad, uh, time has flown. We've definitely run out of time, but I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And, you know, if our listeners out there want to read more about your work, where can they find you? They can find me at grantforksherald.com and they can find me at northlandoutdoors.com. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like today's episode, share it with a friend through text messaging. Yes, go on to your favorite uh, app, whichever one you prefer to listen to and hit that share button and share it with them directly. They might even thank you for it. And also one more thank you to our sponsor, Noda. You can find them at trustnoda.com forward slash legal. And that's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. And last but never least, thank you to our team producer, Molly McDonough and our LTN audio crew. They do it week after week. They do it with panache. They're the best. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody.